All right, and welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm Connor, and I'm here as always with Calvin. Hello. And uh, we have a special guest on today. You've come up in the podcast a few times, like we mentioned you and like movies you suggested, but we have Nathan on, uh, our good friend Nathan. Oh, I actually didn't know that one. Which ones? Uh, I know, I, like, I mean, I can't remember the specific episode, but it'd be like, oh, like, Nathan saw this. Or uh, We're talking about In Bruges today, and In Bruges has come up on the podcast before. Awesome. And just being like, oh, yeah, Nathan likes that one. And so when you're in town, I was excited and like, Let's have you on and talk about in Bruges. Hell yeah, let's do, let's do it. So uh, this is a Martin McDonough movie. Uh, he also did uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I think it's his most recent film. Yeah, I think so. That really shocked me actually that it, um, that it was made the same guy. I didn't. I didn't. I thought of Martin McDonough as being more like a, a Guy Ritchie type uh, director. I don't know why. I just didn't even realize that he was the one that made uh three billboards outside ebbing missouri but i can see it now absolutely because those these are these movies uh both of these movies are deceptively deep they, it feels like yes. there's just like a story at top on on the surface and it's well done but there's a lot going on underneath and i think yeah three billboards it's also like surprisingly funny despite how heavy that movie is oh, like yeah. and and one thing i thought about this movie certainly that i think is my favorite part of it, is the writing is so good and he wrote it as well uh, it's just like uh, you can. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Just like fits in so many jokes and like yeah, like you said, like a really like heavy subject matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Calvin, let's get a, your first impression of In Bruges. Um, I kind of think of it like uh, like like if Hot Fuzz had a baby with Albert Camus, and <laughs> what the hell is Albert Camus? Albert Camus is um, a uh, philosopher who's most famous in the existential circles like for like his absurdism uh his the the idea or the the thought experiment he's that's most attributed to him is the idea that uh life is inherently absurd it's uh equivalent to uh, a sisyphean tasks we're all just pushing boulders up hills and we have to find meaning in doing that and i think that's that's how i think of this whole movie sure how do you not know that? That's common knowledge. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I just forgot about uh, old, old Al Camus. Yeah, everyone knows this. I need to make a little sound pad yeah, thing we, for we, we called We called him Al. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's yeah. your first thoughts on this uh, film, Nathan? Uh, well, I, I think my first thoughts would have been like uh, eight years ago or something like that. But uh, I originally watched this movie. Uh, I had, I put off watching the movie because... The name in Bruges and like the the cover art looked boring as fuck. <laughs> uh, so like, that looks lame. That like I think I told you guys earlier. I thought it was going to be like in the same kind of vein as Chocolat, which I have not also seen. So that was a very unfair judgment. <laughs> um, but one day I was just chilling. I was like feeling a boring movie. <laughs> yeah. So I so I put on in Bruges, uh, and it was not that. It was it was delightfully. Uh, I love. For me, my favorite part is, uh, favorite aspect of it is that there's, there's so many dichotomies like all throughout the movie. Um, it is all these, all this absurdity is presented in very realistic, normal ways. Right. Like they talk like regular people talk about the most batshit stuff. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. I. I forget that it's about two hitmen and like a child dies in this movie and yeah but it's like it's so funny that like i'm kind of taken out of that for a bit 
like yeah. just because the dialogue and like I think the delivery is also like uh, superb. Colin Farrell and uh, Brendan Gleeson are great in this. They, yeah, just they, the, the dialogue and the way they they present all of it. It like you forget like oh these are terrible people talking about terrible things because yeah. it's just so funny. Yeah, for how for how goofy it, all their all their conversations are, the they're really pretty well fleshed out characters considering almost nothing they ever talk about is serious at least uh on the surface like they kind of dance around a lot of the problems they're having uh, right whether it's guilt or what have you but uh they do it in just the you know in a way that you could almost imagine real people you might know doing it and that, that they're not maybe great at handling these subjects but they do it none the same but at the same time yeah they are hitmen yeah and they you know they do just kill people casually well and there's like nearly a suicide scene and which is supposed to be big, deep, and emotional, oh, and then so, all of so a sudden, good. Brendan Gleeson, he's like, "Oh, it's just hiding behind the thing," and it like <laughs> cut, cuts the tension right out of it because yeah. it's just so funny. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. That's that's my favorite aspect of it. And it just does it constantly all the way throughout. It's it's like these normal people who are not normal talking about in a normal way about not normal things. Sure, just all the way throughout, and it's funny and it's dark, and yeah, it and. It, just has a lot of depth to it at the same time which it is just i think it's a movie that i'm glad rewatching it i've only rewatched it once or twice but i've definitely picked up more things going through it a second and third time but it's also just an instantly easily accessible movie it's just enjoyable yeah i think calvin calvin has like theories and stuff that we'll get into later and he was like, oh, I'm excited. We can talk about our theories. And I was like, I just kind of sit and watch this one because I just have so much fun with it. I know there's probably like deeper aspects to it that I could like try to dive into. But I'm just like, I just enjoy it for like where, like what it is. Yeah, you could like, not surface. dig for anything yeah. and, and still have a great time with yeah. this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just on, even just on a very surface level, it's just enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's actually part of the reason that I, I find it so interesting is it bec- is because it wants to pretend like it's a movie that isn't about anything. And it's very good at doing that. It's so good at, in- at entertaining and engrossing every type of audience. Um, it's a little bit different than, than The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is one of those movies where I think it works on just about every level that you would you could possibly want it to in terms of uh, allegories and metaphors and uh, psychological states, but also just pure storytelling. Um, what's going on here is it's so subtle. You really have to know some of the... Um, uh, you'd have to have heard of or seen the movie um, Don't Look Now, uh, which is the, the movie that um, they're filming in the movie and it's not uh, the Chloe the uh, Belgian girl refers to it as a pastiche or an homage yeah which is funny because I think it's actually self-referential self-referential to uh, in Bruges uh, as being an homage to um, don't look now so I think that I I don't need we don't we can get into theories and I don't think it's going to really it might create more depth for some people but I don't think this is one of those movies that um was I, I struggle to say that it was trying to. I think it was trying to be more than really just the surface level story, but it it tried so hard to make you think that it wasn't about that. And it did it so well by play, by like leaning into the bleakness and leaning into the the fact that you have immoral people talking about the morality of certain things. Like, yeah. oh it sounds like it's actually kind of your fault that you got shot in the face. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you think about it. Yeah. Or like uh you're not trying to find what makes this movie so deep when they spend like 
several scenes talking about alcoves. Yeah, Yeah, how stupid. How could you get it hung up on alcoves? <laughs> yeah. like, we're talking about killing people. So yeah, that's I think that's what you're saying where it's like it, it does really well, I think, at disguising that it's deep because it has scenes like that where it's just it's just so goofy. And so you're not like actively looking for, you know, what uh like really adds depth to well, the film itself. So. And that's that's the thing, like the characters themselves are so caught in the weeds and the mechanics of of polite society, of of the social conventions of things that they kind of forget about like the big picture, like people die in a lot of things. And I think that's that's why I say this is so absurdist and it's very similar to a lot of Albert Camus um, philosophy is because none of it really matters to Camus. No human life it is itself absurd because none of it all of it is inconsequential. So what we choose to do and then create importance out of those things is inherently funny. No, yeah, okay. I could see that. I mean, without having like a recently taken a philosophy class or anything like that, I can understand how I can, it like bleeds into this, like the way this story is built. I can send you a podcast. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> I'm sure that's not a rough listen at all. <laughs> I've listened to a couple like philosophy, like themed podcasts, like from Stuff You Should Know. And they're always like, snoozers for me i i usually skip those ones <laughs> oh man yeah they're actually the one i listen to like don't worry they're all they're all british so at least you get the accents yeah um but otherwise they're they're like all uh university professors so they're they definitely lean into all of the terms the sure. way that are that make it very hard to get into so it's just like that's just philosophy it's just terms in reference to other terms and unless you understand the language it's all just gibberish all right speaking of being british Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson's characters, uh, Ray and Ken, were originally written to be British. And then he heard their accents. He's like, oh, we'll just change it to <laughs> Irish guys. We'll just leave them <laughs> you know? it's like, Which yeah. is great because the, 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 like, the cadence and uh, I think the way Irish people um, insult people is hilarious. <laughs> so I'm glad that it just stayed with like, how they naturally speak because I think that's some of the best stuff is how they make fun of people. It's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't I don't know what would have been added by making them British either. Yeah. So if it's easier for them to just use their natural accents, yeah. why not? It's yeah, it was great. Yeah, I just love Brendan Gleeson. Like the Americans are going to go to the top of the tower. He's like, oh, you don't want to go that way. It's really narrow. And it's like so nonchalant. And they get Fuck so you, mad. Motherfucker. It's so funny. Um, so do we want to get into some of the quotes? I mean, not quotes. Uh, some of your theories on it then. No, we can get to that at the end. Um, okay. We should talk about like the. I mean, we're at the point now where we should talk about the the PC things and what that does or doesn't do for this movie. Okay. All right. So I think uh, Calvin, you had mentioned before we started recording that, uh, like, maybe not the tagline, but like part of like on the cover of it, it was like you know a refreshing non PC movie. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. It was an interesting way to try and sell a movie. Yeah. Um. And this was also what it came out in 2008, 2008 right? yeah, which we were talking about, too, is like, was PC a big problem then? Like, I, just I, I don't remember, remember it. I just remember midget being one of the first words where people were like, oh, I mean, other than like the N word. I feel like that was always just like obvious. Yeah. I don't know. I felt like that was obvious to me as a child. Apparently, that's not. Um, apparently, my high school has a huge problem with it, too. So, are you talking about midget or the N word? Uh, the, the N word. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a PC police thing. I, think that's I like just that. feel like that's just like human decency can, type thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, yeah, midget, like what they were trying to move midget into that uh, same uh, same sort of discussion. Um, so I remember, yeah, dwarf or little person being talked about like when I was in high school or sure. like early college. So 
I mean, and obviously also you have uh, the, like, um, being called retarded. Like, that's, that was another thing that was, yeah. like, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, because Nathan and I watched it last night, and then again today, um, and I just looked over him, and I was like, I forgot, it's, like, pretty liberal use of a couple words that, like, just wouldn't be okay to say now. Um, and I just, because this would have come out when I was in high school, and I don't remember PC being as big a deal when I was, like, growing up. I think it's a really big deal now. So if this movie had come out now... I think then you can put the tagline like refreshingly non PC and a bunch yeah. of people would be like, yeah, I'm going to go listen to people say things that I used to be able to say. I think it was. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. And it's hard to know without, I don't know, going back to 2008 and kind of taking a, a sample of the, the zeitgeist at the time. But it seemed to me to be very intentionally like anything Colin Farrell says is I mean, even in the context of 2008 or, and there also might be differences between British, Irish and American sensibilities. Um, but it's, it, it seemed like he, what anything he said was supposed to be offensive. Yeah, for sure. Very, uh, self-aware or the movie was self-aware of the fact that Colin Farrell, if, if he describes a person is probably doing it in an offensive manner. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I would agree with that. And so that's why I don't necessarily have a problem with the way, uh, the, the fact that they do say things like that because I don't think that you're supposed to like him for those things. I think it's it's a bad person saying not great things, and that's kind of the point. Um, and that'll fit more into uh, like some of my theories about like wh- why why that's really the case. Mm-hmm. Why you have like a bunch of uh, not so great people that yeah. maybe have a little good, a little bad in them type thing um, in this world. Yeah, I think uh, Ray's, like, he's the most likable when he's, like, the most, like, down and out and, like, the, like, most vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. And then he's clearly, like, funny and entertaining character when he's being an asshole. Uh, but, I, yeah, I do think the parts where everyone becomes likable is when you, they take a break from, like, their shtick of, like, being offensive or being bad people. Yeah. And you, like, see, like, a, a little glimpse of, like, what they really are, like, what's really hurting them or whatever. So I, mm. I think that those are, like, the... I think you talked about like dichotomies and stuff like the seeing the two ends of like a character is like one thing I think this movie does really well. Yeah. Yeah. Like he clearly has a soft spot in his heart for some people and then, you know, clearly doesn't for others. Right. I also wonder, uh, I want to talk about Harry a little bit. So he has like this code, you know, he's like, you know, this, he killed a kid, like he's got to go. So there's apparently a deleted scene. It's like a flashback to when he was younger and for uh, harry yes and uh like his partner is holding a woman who was killed at like a nightclub and he finds out it was like a dirty cop that was responsible for it Mm -hmm. so he goes to the police station and decapitates the detective or the policeman or whatever holy shit and so it's just supposed to kind of build the lore of like this code and like they're yeah he's a terrible guy but there's also certain things that he won't even stand for yeah he'll like go get justice for it do you think that scene's necessary or do you get enough out of harry's character just in the way the film was made I don't. I guess it depends where they would have put that. We were. I, I mentioned like halfway through the movie, the first time you actually see Harry. I'm so happy that's the first time you see him. So if the flashback would have been before that, I think it would have detracted from. I don't want to say wait because it's a funny moment, but the first time you see Harry and he's like destroying his phone and calling his wife an inanimate fucking object. Yeah. <laughs> like if you had a backstory before that, it totally lessens the comedic impact of that scene yeah his introduction is like excellent yeah like the fact I that you you just hear a couple phone calls and a letter that he sent yeah that's like how 
you're you're initially finding out about the character, and then the first time you see him, he's just going berserk on the phone. Yeah. It's great. It's a great introduction. Holy cow, is Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes? I don't mm-hmm. know how to say Fiennes. 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 Holy cow, is he good at just expressing, like, bottled-in rage? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's great. He's so good. He's built for that. Yeah. But I agree. I don't think that uh, that... I'm glad that scene is deleted because it's really not about Harry. Harry is um, a representation of an idea of the things that um, Ken and uh, Ray had been talking about throughout the movie before. They was talking about like, well, how, you know, like I've done this ter- these terrible things, but how do you live like good lives or like because uh, they were talking about like, you know, I'm not going to I can't help uh, an old lady with her groceries because she thinks I'm just going to steal them because that's the that's the world we live in. Yeah. You know, am I right? Um, but it's the same sort of idea of like um, you can only do. You, even if you are a bad person, you still have, you still try to do good. And I think that's a part of the absurd uh, aspect that Martin McDonough is trying to underscore here with that. These characters are still like concerned with either being good in some instances or appearing good. And Harry isn't really a part of that because Harry is something else entirely. Yeah. He's almost literally like the angel of death or an agent of judgment. Yes. And so he doesn't really need a backstory. Yeah, no, I I agree. And his like code or whatever, or like his need to have Ray be held accountable. Yeah. Like that didn't need more of a backstory. Like, that's fine. I can understand a guy being like, Hey, you killed a kid. Like, your time's come now yeah so i don't think you need a decapitation scene to like really reinforce that like this is ray's code or harry's code so yeah mm-hmm. no i'm yeah yeah i think you got the picture yeah. without it so apparently I mean, the uh the cgi for it was not convincing and that's why it was cut uh, well, which it's fine because i think narratively it is better and better for that character i mean you don't need to tell me everything about a character right off like right off the bat yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah i'm glad that didn't work out because it I mean, maybe he would have worked it in in a way that, you know, was good. Who knows? But, I mean, if if I don't feel like it's lacking, then maybe it didn't need to be there in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for a movie that isn't like, I mean, it's about Hitman, but I don't think it's like over the top violent until you get to the end. Yeah. I mean, there's the shooting of the priest and like, I mean, that's violent. But as a whole, the, well, the movie isn't really focused on like the killing all the time. That's well, There's a lot of casual violence. You know, just casually shoot a blink in a guy's eye. I guess just you're casually right. yeah. knock out a Canadian. Yeah. Just, oh, a bottle. Oh, a bottle. <laughs> I love that part. She, she could have known karate. You know? I love that part. Bottle. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and then I love after that, he's like, I'd never hit a woman. But a woman with a bottle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> a completely different class of person. I guess I, I mean it more like, I mean, there's a movie called Hitman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's like all gunfights and killing the whole time i'm just saying for a movie about hitman i i think it was it had the violence toned down yeah uh, so probably why they called it in bruges yeah <laughs> yeah maybe if they called it hitman in bruges it'd be maybe like send the wrong message yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but uh but yeah that's what i mean it's like i i think if you have a scene where a guy gets his head cut off it would not i think tonally fit yeah with the movie as a whole i think it'd be over the top i think you're right but then it gets like really bloody at the end. So maybe I'm maybe I'm yeah, but that, talking that, out of both sides. But you know, that's the climax of the movie. Uh and honestly the the kind of gore and violence at the end uh was just yet another one of the I mean, you call them like foreshadowing or Chekhov's guns or what prophecies, what have you. Like they brought up dumb dummy bullets or dum dums or whatever mm-hmm. early in the morning in the earlier in the movie and then fucking use them yeah and they had no heads anymore yeah yep. and same thing with uh um 
Ken when he's first up in the bell tower he has like a finger gun and he shoots yeah. uh, oh, yeah. Ray yep. um, there's a few other and I especially love like the, the conversation about the dumb dumb bullets like I shouldn't but yeah, <laughs> but yeah I'll take and that's like, and that's exactly why the the mounting gore makes so much sense because it's a cascade of terrible decisions by people making who are aware of the consequences and are reaping the the benefits or you know the they're they're reaping the seeds that they had sown already. So it it makes sense to cluster everything like that at the end because so if you had had like another super gory scene right off to the side, it wouldn't it really slows down. I think. Um, or it really just changes the tone at the wrong point. There's a crux in the movie where suddenly it's like, oh yeah, this is awful. And if you had started with that beforehand, it was the, the, the climax isn't even a climax anymore. Yeah. I think then it, it becomes harder to see Harry later in the movie and laugh at his lines when you saw him decapitate someone earlier in the movie. But then I say that, but like then, uh, Ray's character accidentally shoots a kid and his lines are still funny after that too so i, I think just it's just feel the like movie is just done so well that maybe i just don't mind it and i think part of it is because he feels so much like a child throughout the entire movie like everything he does is just impulsive and silly like a child um i love when he's trying to convince ken to go out and just even the way he's sitting is like a kid he's got like his knees up and everything he's yeah, playing he's like with like his grabbing feet. his hands yeah, yeah. yeah. or he's grabbing really, his feet yeah yeah it's so yeah i think he's just a boy the whole movie and yeah he's just like he's trying to convince the old man to go out and everything so yeah he's he's got a, a lot of like i think good like boyish mannerisms i love it he's always like touching his mouth like with his fingers i mm-hmm. love i love just the, that little the, character they were very trait. consistent with like his tics and yeah. his his mannerisms throughout the, I, I actually like that little detail it's like you could tell when he was worried or stressed about something yes yeah. he did that every time yeah like when he's on the train and he's like got his hand like his chin in his hand it's like <laughs> Yeah, like the most conspicuous me? you can be. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm catching a catching a side it's eye so from bad. this police officer. Not me, sir. Yeah. He's so stupid, but it's so great. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I think that was probably intentional because I mean, they're they especially towards the end when uh, Ken when Ken is literally saying to uh, Harry like he he can change. He deserves another chance. So I think him being childish throughout the whole thing is supposed to emphasize. Even though he killed a kid, even though he's a hitman, um, uh, like an air of childness or innocence that is worth or that is capable of change and sure. worth saving. Well, and they both keep calling him boy throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie. So I think that's it's it's very much implied that um, like psychologically you can almost think of them as two aspects of his own conscience. Like one of them wants to kill him. That's his suicidal tendency. And there's the other part of him that doesn't want to die yet. And it's also, it's just uh, another layer of the absurd idea of like, if none of this matters, why don't we kill ourselves? Well, there's this weird undercurrent of all human consciousness that we want to keep living for whatever reason, even if it's in fucking Bruges. <laughs> I, love, I love how upset he is that he has to be there. It's so funny. Uh, another like little character trait I noticed, uh, I don't know if you saw, he wears the same like suit and shirt. Yeah, every day. I was, just, I was, he just mm-hmm. changes the buttons on it, like the how it's like. I think the scene uh, where he's 
about to commit suicide, he has it buttoned all the way up to the mm-hmm. top. Yeah. And then when he goes on his date, he's like trying to figure out how many buttons to leave One open. One or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, so, I wasn't sure if I was catching that or not. I was like, is he wearing the same shirt yeah, every, every day? Single day. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that lends to like, he, he's brand new to this job. And yeah, he's like a kid. Yeah. Uh, and, and Ken's experienced because he changes clothes. He has a bag of other clothes and like his wardrobe changes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ray is like brand new and sucks at this. Didn't know how to pack. And he just wears the same clothes every day. <laughs> It just, that's like, yeah, like little subtle character bits that mm-hmm. I think uh, like enhance the film. So I was, uh, I was happy to see little things like that. All right. So I want to talk now about some of the art in this. They go to a museum and there's a couple of paintings hanging up. One of them is Death in the Miser, The Judgment of Cambyses. And I think the one I, it's the one with like the guys like sitting on a knife and Ken's talking about it being about like judgment. And that's uh, The Last Judgment is the name of that painting. Yeah, uh, by Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch, yes. which is also something that Jimmy references later about how uh, the dream sequence that they're shooting is uh, a Boschian horror. So yes, the paintings, and it's also, don't look now, like how both of those are, uh, are very strong influences on this film. So let's start with the paintings, though. The paintings are so fascinating because it's all about uh, brutal consequences for your actions. So... Um, it's uh, like the, the miser and death, like the miser has saved up all of this wealth. And but by the end of his life, uh, even death comes to collect his toll. And that's kind of like Harry at the end. And same thing with um, the judgment of Cambyses. Uh, he was a, a, a greedy money changer, I'm pretty sure. And so he was corrupt. And so the town basically just flayed him alive. And then the last judgment. It's, and it's interesting how Ray is kind of aghast at some of the at the first two, um, the miser and death, and the judgment of Cambyses. Um, but then that the last judgment uh, appeals to him in some sort of way. Um, but it's it's so interesting because that's that's what what's absurd about this movie is the the juxtaposition, those dichotomies like you were talking about of like these bad things and these good topics like what morality seems to be at the the forefront of everything they talk about even though they seem to have no problem just killing people right that all the paintings they all make me feel uncomfortable they all make me feel like i've like just looking at them I'm like man i've done something wrong i know it like, <laughs> like uh, yeah like i yeah and i think it's probably the point because yeah i do like uh like you feel judged looking at it like oh like i'm in that group of people that are going to be held accountable at some point and so they're like uncomfortable to look at. That's why, but it's still great because then they have like great dialogue during it, where they're actually discussing like a real issue and like what the painting is. And then there's like a goofy line in it, and it's it, but it's not like a. I think like Marvel does it really badly. They'll have like serious moments, and then they undercut it with a joke, and it's just like so out of place and so goofy, mm-hmm. and it's like for like a kid. But the way they, they, I think they'd all like blend together really well, even in a scene that I think is pretty serious. Like I said, like a lot of heavy subject matter in this uh, film. And it's not like ruined by like comedically timed uh, humor. Yeah, and because that's the that's the same idea of human life. Like there, like even if we were just constantly contemplating how we're going to die someday, we still find ways to fill moments with with laughter and things of no consequence, even in the face of the ultimate consequence. And so that fits in thematically. Whereas with Marvel, it's all about who cares. You know, honestly, I mean, <laughs> I feel like. If, if anybody has listened to any of our other episodes, I feel like I haven't done the last 
few Marvel ones. But if you listen to any of our other Marvel um, episodes, I basically have the same ideas over and over. This is the same movie over yeah. and over. So I think you had mild praise for Loki when we talked about that one. But that's like as good as it's gotten. I don't think you remember that episode <laughs> correctly. <laughs> and also, a lot of Marvel, I mean, kind of to your point, a lot of Marvel movies feel like they're just an algorithm at this point or like they have a map mm-hmm. of how dialogue goes of how stories go and you don't deviate and so uh a joke to cut the tension is just part of the formula yeah sure whereas mm-hmm. in this case they're doing it the whole movie it's just his character mm-hmm. like they they will get right up to the line of actually having an honest discussion about guilt or what have you what the issues they're facing and then diffuse it with like colin farrell's character just either you know can't focus long enough to take that next step or Ken's character just isn't comfortable, you know, addressing it directly with him. And yeah. that's no. such a great point of what you're making because that's also the biggest theme in uh, Don't Look Now. The whole point of that movie was the the director, whose name escapes, escapes me currently, um, can I make grief the driving force of an entire narrative? And that's, that's what it is. Like this couple loses their child, um, uh, who drowns at the beginning of the movie and there's just constant miscommunication through the whole entire movie and it just compounds uh, all of the problems that they have in their relationship. Like they can't actually uh, start to get over this situation anymore because they're they're constantly at each other's throats, pulling each other apart. And then you have all of these, um, uh, the uh, guy starts seeing uh, visions of the future and that's uh, that's why I think of like all of these call- callbacks, checkoffs, g- guns as very similar in in style and tone to Don't Look Now. So they have a they have a uh, an extra layer of uh, artistic interpretation with why they're being included in this case. So it's it's so it's so much more than like a nod of the head to Don't Look Now. It's its own thing, but it still lives like within the universe and the idea of Don't Look Now. Yeah, I want to watch that now or do more research on it because then I think I'll probably... It feels like you've been able to pull a lot of things out of this movie that, uh, like, you're talking about how it's, it's like, clever and how it's mm-hmm. deep, uh, which, I like I said, like, I, I kind of just watched it for the value it has on the surface. Uh, so, yeah, if it's, like, an homage in itself to Don't Look Now, then I would probably pull more out of it. Yeah, sure. that's that's also why Jimmy, the, the dwarf, is in this movie. There's actually uh, one of one of the characters in Don't Look Now is is a dwarf, and that's why he's part of the, the Boschian nightmare scene. So it's interesting that how Jimmy is used in this movie because it's very, very different than uh, Don't Look Now. I think Nathan had a question. He was like, does... Uh Martin McDonough just think that little oh. people are funny, and that's why they're he's in the yeah, movie. <laughs> that's a, yeah, very you know sudden sudden uh, tangent from what we were talking about. But yeah, what when I was I, I guess speaking to how how Jimmy is used, but I I had that question. I'm like some of the some of the shots make me think that Martin McDonough just inherently thinks that <laughs> dwarves are funny. But also, so much of the other humor, even the offensive humor in the movie, is self-aware. That I'm like, is this? Are we viewing his existence as funny through the eyes of these characters, 
Or does Martin McDonald actually just think that it's hilarious that these people exist? I'm just imagining him like set up for the scene and everything, and he's just behind a camera, like cannot stifle laughter. Yeah. Like as soon as the, yeah. the, the actor playing Jimmy like, walks on set, like, like he just thinks it's so funny. Like he's real life Colin Farrell, where he sees a like a door hop and this, and he's like, "Oh, guys, they're filming midgets." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they like cast him like, "Oh man, just wait till they you see your costume." Yeah. <laughs> um, like, in particular, the one. The the one sh- it is and it's really only one shot that made me have that question and it's the one at the bar where he's getting the wine and the beer off of the bar off of the bar top to take it back to his hooker mm-hmm. and I'm like that shot feels like it exists only for Martin McDonough because he thinks it's funny yeah <laughs> yeah I wasn't sure about it because it also feels like just like this is the type of normal these are the type of things that we take for granted as um people whose environment is built to suit our height whereas his is not so i'm not sure yeah everything else in the movie even you know for being uh having heavy themes it's almost continuously a joke especially Mm -hmm. when jimmy is there Mm -hmm. so it, it just i maybe it just put me in the mindset like Everything else involving Jimmy has already been a joke. This must also be a joke, but maybe it was not intended that way. Yeah, or it could also be like those. Are, that's from the viewpoint of Ken, because mm-hmm. I mean that's clearly where the camera is set up from. So maybe it's his his view. And I think we are not seeing Martin McDonough's um, views on dwarves. We're seeing um, society's views expressed through all of the characters on dwarves as inherently funny because, Oh, you don't belong or like you're too fat to climb that tower. Yeah. Like that, that type of idea. There is, there's, do you think Barton McDonough hates Americans? (laughs) It's so funny that that's like so, so often like, but, don't hold it against me. Yeah. Don't hold it against me. Yeah. Like I, I think I said when we were watching the, guy in the like Yankees a, cap. Yeah, I love that he has a Yankees cap. And on. the callback, like yeah. uh, we had an American have a heart attack on these stairs. Yeah, like, yeah. a couple days ago. The movie's <laughs> just full of that. Like, like, like we mentioned the bottle thing already. They have the conversation about the bottle, and then all of a sudden the lady has the bottle, and and then they have the heart attack, and then uh, I think too like the when I left is like they show the swans earlier in the movie, and then later on Harry's like, well, did he see the swans? Like it's magical, it's fairy tale. Like, yeah. How can you see just so many and not think it's fucking magical? Yeah, oh, it's so it's so good. Um, yeah, I don't know that I think I don't. I'm not sure that I think he just thinks that they're inherently funny, and that's why he was like, I need to have a little person in my movie. I think of things like Jackass, where yeah. they have Wee Man in it, and mm-hmm. I think that is. I mean, I'm sure they're friends with Wee Man. They all seem to be a good crew. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you see like a little person doing these weird stunts, like that's when it's like, oh, it's inherently funny because of his size. Yeah, which I don't think this movie is is doing that, but I do. I I like your theory that the director just thinks it's yeah. hilarious. And it's, he's like, I gotta yeah. do it. For, it's like right on the line for me. Like I think he has a narrative purpose. I mean, obviously, there's like callbacks to other movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't look now. I think I, I think he has a a place in the movie outside of his comedic intentions or value. I just it's so constant in every scene he's in that i'm like i kind of think that martin mcdonald just thinks that dwarves are funny yeah i yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i I have i don't think we will (laughs) or can find any evidence one way or another it was just it was so constant it made me think about it i was like i 
this seems like more than just a narrative device at this point. It seems like actual just jokes. We got to just get him on the podcast and, yeah. and ask him. Excuse me, Martin McDonough. <laughs> We've been dying to ask you. <laughs> yes or no. <laughs> yes or no. Dwarves. <laughs> Um, this is a safe space. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do you have anything else to say about the paintings? I know we kind of diverged from that for a minute. But yeah, I think aside from it being a, a moment like I think, yeah, we're there. Like I said, like I think the best parts of these uh, Ken and uh, Ray is like when they are being honest and like kind of vulnerable with each other. And I think that was like one of the best scenes. Let you know that it's not just kind of funny movie all the time. It is trying to like have a serious subject. And I think that's one of the better scenes for it. Yeah, exactly. I think you could look at this whole movie and not laugh once and still be incredibly entertained and find a lot out of it. So I think that's when the movie really started to take a turn for me to made me realize that, oh, this is this is actually really deep and really well thought out. It's not even like that, wow, I'm just making allusions to other art and stuff. It's like I'm making these allusions because they underscore a thematic element that I've brought to this movie that you can or can uh, not observe. Um, But if you do, it will um, increase your enjoyment of this this work. I, uh, I enjoyed the the paintings also from another aspect in that i mean one being like the 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 checkoffs guns or the foreshadowing or what have you and that like i mentioned harry as being an angel of death or an agent of judgment earlier and it's kind of in reference to those paintings those are literally in those paintings Mm -hmm. it's kind of foreshadowing events to come those events being harry and i i kind of uh i kind of like to think that uh i mean besides just the fact that the bosch painting was uh it's just a wacky ass painting and for a childlike figure like ray uh it just has a lot more going on to to seize your attention so just on a very basic level it makes sense but also it uh i mean given that they recreate the the boschian nightmare what they call it later he's kind of judged and comes out the other end him looking at that picture is kind of the only picture that offers a chance of, if not salvation, then I think he brings up purgatory. Like it's it's right. the only one where the person's not already dead. Yeah, like there's an other option. No, that's a good point. He has this. He's seen the painting, so he has like kind of like a, an and, idea of what, and then he like goes and lives it, and then yeah. And I don't I don't think that's what the character is thinking. Is like, oh, this is the only one where like every it's a crazy ass picture. Yeah. I just I think as a as a thematic device, right? Yeah. It's like it, in the the death and the miser and death. That one's already like been judged. That one's done. The the one where the guy's getting flayed, he's been flayed. Yeah, it's done. The judgment is in progress, and some not everyone's going to hell in that one. And he talks later about like, do you believe in hell? Mm. Like, do you think that's real? Do you think purgatory's real? Do you think all that's real? No, I like that idea. Yeah, it's the only one that you can influence still yeah it's the one that still has i i mean going back to ken wants to to find him salvation it's the only one of the three pictures where there's still an opportunity for salvation well bleak i would say that because like you said the painting is really crazy yeah the crazy the, the painting is batshit nathan just hit the nail on the head okay. to what i want to talk about uh for theories okay then let's move on to theories uh 
like I said, I, I don't, I didn't really have any because I was more surface level on this one. So I'm excited to yeah. hear what your thoughts are, Calvin, because I'm sure they're s- crazy. Spitballing, like those thoughts were forming as I was saying. And that's perfect because yeah, that is exactly what this movie is doing. I think, I think he literally is in purgatory. And that's why he's in Bruges. Oh, Bruges is purgatory? Bruges is purgatory. They, oh, that's why they man. literally say it at the end. Um, get this. He is the kid. Ooh. Because when he pulls up that note, it says, I'm sorry for being moody, which uh, Ken admonishes oh, him for yeah. immediately. He, I'm sorry for being bad at maths. I had five pints and six bo- oh my no God. i had six bottles yeah, okay. and seven pints yes and then for being sad and then immediately after that he's crying um on the park bench sure. killed a kid i think he's literally living an adult life where he thinks he killed a kid because he really committed suicide in his real life oh okay i could i like that theory so i don't have any like substantial way to disprove that like there's no like well but this scene that's also why he can't leave brood yeah that's why he gets pulled back for punching the canadian ah the canadian because he can't leave purgatory yeah okay no i like but then is bruges hell or is it purgatory because he says himself like what if hell is being in bruges forever yeah purgatory hell and this in in this instance it could be it could be the same thing but i think of like the wait is is he I feel like you you have two different theories here. Is he the child or is he himself but in purgatory for killing the child? I think he's living a memory of of himself killing the child and like so it's it's like he hurt someone else. It's not like you committed suicide. It's like you have to carry the guilt of killing someone else because you're killing the the possibility of a child. I think that's what why it's even more uh messed up um than what happened in his real life i think he killed himself as a kid and now he has to live the idea of him being an adult which is why he is a kid the entire movie he's stomping fit he's he ran up to the uh when they were filming like like a kid at the zoo yeah like hung on it with like a like a beer with like his beer bottle like he just acts like a kid the whole time i think he literally is a kid in an adult body carrying all of the shame and guilt of committing suicide but thinking that he killed someone else i wait yeah. what you lost me man i don't hate that idea <laughs> um like wait he committed suicide as a child as a child yes and then he now has to live as an adult or uh, as a child in an adult's body thinking that he killed a child by accident as a hitman which is why he has all of these childlike mannerisms because he's still emotionally a child, mentally still a child, and is in hell living this over and over again. I think you lost me on that wrinkle. If, if you were like, it's Colin Farrell, uh, or sorry, uh, Ray, if it's Ray doomed to purgatory for the crime of killing a child, but like he's, you know, still has a possibility of redemption in Bruges purgatory. I think I can follow you there. The fact that he's a literal child who committed suicide, that seems a little bit far for what we see in the movie. It's, it's because of that note. It's it's neat. Yeah, I can I I understand the the note. I feel like that's I don't know. I guess that is a connection to to Ray's character, but I don't know if that means that he was actually a child when it happened. Yeah, then that could be. Um, that's just like my how I rationalize all three things: the note, the fact that a child died, and the fact that he acts as a child i don't i don't disagree that maybe like he is just 
living like a child. Like he has this guilt and lives like that child did because he's trying to um, somehow embody the qualities that kid never had of the life that he was never able to live. And maybe that's part of like how it express he expresses guilt is the things that the kid said that he was sorry for. Yeah. No, I, I think if I was going to come up with a theory, I would think that maybe if he had killed himself at the park and then the rest of the movie is him in purgatory. Yeah. Because then it would still make sense because he couldn't get away on the train. Yeah, kind of just his growth at the very end where, you know, he's getting loaded into the ambulance and he's, you know, essentially like spelling out that, you know, it might be purgatory or hell or whatever. So I, I, I could see it in like that. I don't know that I... I don't know. That I love the idea of him being a, like a child, or yeah, I'm I'm just hesitant to. But, I, but like, I'm not I'm, I'm not against I'm, you either. Though I'm hesitant to follow you on a theory that violates the plot, in that like they have an exposition at the beginning saying this happened. Yeah, and but so, I think those are like like when, when he might be like, he might be an unreliable narrator, but it's still in order to literally believe that 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 is what happened. Like Martin McDonough was writing this, like he was a child who committed suicide. You have to believe. You have to also take the supposition that he's like, and also all of the explanatory uh, like dialogue to lead us into the situation is a lie. Yeah, and I agree with that. Like that's how I would take it. And and it's I I say that because it's not un it's not unusual for a film to do that for a film to be exceptionally vague about what it is about them being. Um, mindscapes because uh, we've talked about that a lot um, that a lot of times that stories are representations of singular emotions or singular ideas and but they're expressed in a completely narrative way and they have and these narrative elements have no actual connection to uh, any real thing that happened um, that's being expressed as an idea. I know that it is a weird thing to say, but I think that I think that all of those things are our expectations of stories. Like I wash my hands in a ba- in a Burger King. Like all of those things are things we expect. Like it wouldn't feel real if there wasn't that explanatory dialogue. But they're ultimately unnecessary to the expression of an idea of shame and guilt of a character who committed suicide and now has to live this cyclical hellscape of, of the guilt of killing himself there, there, those are, those are wild and out there things, but those are like higher levels of, of film theory and critique that I've been exposed to that I can understand. There are people that think of their movies like those things and they'll just, but, but a lot of times they'll be like, well, I just want a certain level of vagueness. Like you can get that out of that if you wanted to, or you cannot. It's just like, sometimes I'll be really cagey about it. Some, and some people just outright say that that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Like with, uh, uh, Robert Eggers and like the actual lighthouse being a phallus. Like that's, yeah, there's, there are wild (laughs) ways that people make their movies and they're a lot of times they are expressly that way i wouldn't be surprised if mark mcdonough was like wow you're really grasping at straws there you idiot that's why you have like 80 subscribers on youtube (laughs) (laughs) but that it's it's not unheard of i yeah i can follow you like 80 percent of the way there that's all i want uh i i I like a lot of like the whole idea of bruges purgatory or hell Uh, i mean i guess they kind of say it but the taking it a step further i do like that uh, it's just the it's the child in the church and he actually committed suicide part that part mm-hmm. I'm like mm, I'm not sold on that but that's okay the rest of it was very interesting 
I'm glad. That's all. That's all I'm trying to be. It's a little interesting. Blowing my mind, man. <laughs> no, that's not as bad. I think you've had other theories about some movies where I've definitely been like, I don't get any of that. But but it's yeah, it's funny because I like, feel more like, confident yeah, in a lot yeah, of those yeah, other yeah. ones than I do this yeah. one. <laughs> you were talking. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, I think that uh, it would be good to go back and watch it and be like, okay, I, I can pick up on like some of this, like what you're saying, and then I think it'll. If I looked at it in with that lens of okay, what is like the, what is the deeper meaning and what is the movie trying to do besides just kind of like be funny, then then yeah, I think I could pull more of that out. I think that's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I do like the purgatory idea. I that was what I suspected your theory was, uh, that it was it dealt with Bruce being purgatory, because mm-hmm. uh, I had forgotten at the end that he has like that little monologue. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that made it. Yeah. That I I kind of had that thought as it was ending. I was like, hmm. But I didn't really give it more thought after that. Yeah, I sort of think uh, think that the a theory like yours, Calvin, probably fits better if there isn't a monologue at the end. If it's more ambiguous, then then you can be like, oh, you can really kind of run wild yeah, with theories. I, th- I think your theory would have I I would have had much more buy-in if it didn't have the short monologue at the beginning and oh. the monologue at the end. Oh. If those were missing, and I think the movie would have been a hundred percent fine without those. Yeah. Like especially the one at the beginning seemed a hundred percent unnecessary. I was even thinking as he said it, like. You could just start from the first scene. You don't need that first thing. Yeah. Minus those details, it would have been a lot easier to follow you on the child thing. But was, yeah. yeah, the other the other <laughs> I reason that, I, I love think that Calvin that... watched this, he's like, this needs more child suicide. In it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, guys, come how on. do I work that into this movie? Well, and the other reason that I do think of it because I also think of it um, both Ken and Harry as being aspects of. Uh, Raymond's subconscious his actual guilt is playing out as uh, as tension between these characters who both commit suicide yeah and I think that that also that reinforced to me the fact that like I am still going to sacrifice myself to do the good thing and I'm still going to kill myself because you have to stick with your principles I think again like those just go back to how messed up of a mind he is that everybody wants to kill themselves. I mean, even uh, Harry says it, you're suicidal. I'm suicidal. We're all fucking suicidal. Like we just, we just keep carrying on. It's that absurdist thing going on over and over that really drives home the point. You keep talking about like the absurdity of the movie and like, yeah, why, why do we keep like, why are we in this rat race? You know? Yeah. And I if, think that the movie does a really good job of like painting that. It's like, yeah, it's always sucks and it's always hard. So like, why are we still doing it? So yeah. if you think they're like aspects of his personality, if they're like his like super ego and it or whatever it is, oh we we do Jung. Yeah, we do Jung. Oh sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm ashamed. <laughs> uh, if they're the little angel and the little devil from the Bugs Bunny cartoons, perfect. <laughs> then then what do you make of the fact? I mean, we mentioned they both kill each other, but for different reasons. One, you know, angel of death, angel of judgment killing himself in accordance with his code and one killing himself in service of saving another person. So mm-hmm. what do you make of the fact that they both, uh, I, I, is it still suicide if you kill yourself in trying to save someone else? Is that still considered suicide? I think that goes back to the idea of the morality. Like you have these terrible people doing, um, caring about good things. Like, like if I jump in front of a bullet, to save someone is that a suicide i'd say so wow i don't know i know it's a homicide for sure well someone gotta be yeah someone committed homicide but did you commit suicide i don't know 
Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, I think I agree though. I, I think that's that's also I thought you were gonna ask me a much harder question, which I have a small answer I have small answer. Sounds like you have a question you want me to ask you. Not really. Like I just you know, we've talked about like anima projections before and, and uh um wise old man, wise mother type things. There's a there's a few of those characters here, but I don't know how much I wanna get into them and is that this obviously something that I just don't know as well, you know. Um the the shadow self all of that stuff is a lot a lot easier for people to understand and i think in the in the context of someone who's already dead um you're never you're never gonna find like your true self you're never gonna have um the idea that everything's gonna finally come together and you're going to be able to reconcile your psychological state and i think that's really what hell is it's like for for uh Ray, like he was never going to get his answers. He's never going to get out of Bruges. He's never going to feel whole or safe or good. And he's going to live that forever. So what then do you make of the love interest? Because that seems to fly in opposition to that. Because that's like, that's, that is an opportunity for happiness. And, uh, you know, within the places and he found, if this is purgatory, that's where he found this person who who potentially brings him happiness. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the point is it's potential happiness, but he always dies before he actually gets to finish the job, so to speak. I actually like that you brought that up because I had a thought about that too. Was He never actually, it, it seems like he never gets to fulfill whatever he wants to do with- He even says the that. Girl. Yeah. And so like, like they're about to sleep together and uh, the ex-boyfriend shows up. And then, like, uh, they're having a nice dinner, a nice evening at the very end. Yeah. And then that's kind of when the whole climax of the film happens. And then he's being carted away and she's crying. So it's like he never actually gets to the point where he's actually done what he wants to do with her. And I think that's part of purgatory is where you can't be happy and yeah. you, you, you're never fulfilled. And so I think the love interest is, like, uh, it still works even if it's purgatory or punishment or, like, hell or something like that. Because it never, like, quite works out for him Yeah. Uh, when in regards to her. That's fair. I yeah, and why that. he's like, I haven't had a shag in months. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point of, that's true suffering is having something right at your fingertips that you can never actually have. Yeah, that's, yeah, what I meant. Yeah, you, you put that a lot better. It's like he's never quite getting the thing he really wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I want to refer back to something you said, Nathan, the Ed Harry killing himself at the end because he's like got to live within his own code, fallen victim to his own judgment. And then uh, Ken, you know, uh, sacrifices himself in a way because he's trying to do the right thing yeah do you guys think that this is this, them escaping purgatory then maybe ken is gonna get to go to heaven now because like, like he he is doing the right thing and he's gonna sacrifice himself to well, do the right thing i think under calvin's theory they don't exist like they're manifestations of sure of of Ray. just ray yeah. But, yeah, but but if purgatory which, is real and they is yeah, this them escaping, let's it. suspend our disbelief yeah. and say that they're all their own person. Sure. Yeah, which I like because honestly, I mean, I know that the focus is on Ray, but Ken is also a person. Like Harry is not a person with too much depth. Like he's funny, uh, he has a code, and he's a killer and all this. Uh, but ultimately, he he is a cudgel. Like he's a tool for things to happen. Ken is actually a character. Like he yeah. has his own conflicts independent of Ray, um, that interplay with Ray. So I, I like the whole it's all Ray's purgatory thing, but I also think it's a disservice to Ken who is in his own right just as much 
Uh, I mean, he's not the one having as much of a struggle, but you can tell Ken is also working through the things he's done in his life. He's like, yeah, I've killed some people. Maybe that's not who I want to be anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could make you could make the argument then that when Harry says that everyone's suicidal, that literally everybody is there because they committed suicide, and so that's why they still feel those things is because they and why everything is unresolved is because they they died with their own blood on their hands. Sure, and if the people at Bruges are gonna call you and be like, "Why are you gonna make this place sound so bad?" <laughs> I mean, it's a shithole. But <laughs> but under that theory, then. Harry is not one of those people because he we he's one of the only people we actually see outside Bruges, so he's not a function of the of the the arena they live in. That's true. That's true. He is well, and that's that that one's unfortunate because he does kill himself, so he's he's plays both sides, and I don't know how to classify him then if then he's not like an expression of just Ray's own mind. It is just interesting to me in, in a movie that seems to be like funny, but deal with real morals like these two bad. I mean, they're all bad guys. I mean, they're all murderers. Yeah. But the fact that like Ken and Harry, like at the end, they still have like this sense of moral obligation to carry out whatever they like fits into their code or whatever they think is the right thing. Yeah. And they both still carry it out. And like that's admirable, especially Harry, I think, is like the worst person of the three. Mm-hmm. despite that you know what? it's the right thing for me to do this because i did something so bad i can't exist anymore yeah part of what makes the movie so heavy but then but yeah that kind of the impetus for him to kill himself is that he actually shot a little person instead mm-hmm. he's not even uh need to be held accountable under his own code but he still goes through with it so it's another seeing someone's level. head blown off it shouldn't be funny but that scene is kind of funny and then kind of also the moral implications of it should make it like feel really heavy yeah, but like, it's like, why does it yeah. matter that it wasn't a child? <laughs> yeah. It was still an innocent bystander. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, got to stick to your principles, which is absurd because they're not, they're perceived principles in that case, and he still does it. Sure. I think about that sometimes, like, when I was in the Navy, and it's like, you have your own kind of idea of, like, what's right and wrong. There are some people who think, like, military in general is evil, and we shouldn't be doing these things, and here I am, like, doing this service and I have to justify it to myself sometimes, you know? Mm. And I mean, I wasn't ever doing anything crazy like Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson in this. But uh, but yeah, it, it reminded me some of that. You have to pick and choose your morals in some ways and be like, well, I'm going to do this job. And it's not awesome all the time. I feel like I have an obligation to do this or act a certain way. And that's how I went through this movie thinking a lot. Is it's so funny to me that like they can do these terrible things and talk about it. But still have like their own set of morals that they uh, still need to be held accountable to. All right, so I think we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Nathan, on a scale of 1 to 10 alcoves. Alcoves. And what do you give this <laughs> one? and crannies, yes. Uh, man, I love this movie. I uh, I mean, I got to be that asshole. What is, what's average? Is 5 average or 7 average? Are we doing We go to A, 10. B, C, D. Base 10. Well, yeah, I know out of yeah. 10, but is 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 5 average or is 7 average? Are we doing like... Uh, oh, five, 5 is average five for is us. 5 is average, yeah. okay. Well, but there have been very few 9s. Oh man, I would give this a nine. Sure, yeah. I feel oh, like we also do like like Connor's the only one who does that like, whole numbers. I like to do like nine point. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. He that surprises me none. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I, this is one of this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't have enough of a background to say whether it's like high art or not, but it just works on so many levels. It works on a base enjoyment level. It has a lot of deeper stuff that we kind of touched on. 
and it's not perfect by any means but it's so so good that any kind of flaws it has i i feel are pretty easy to excuse or gloss over so Mm. i don't think i i would normally be a very uh gentle grader but i I love it so much i feel pretty comfortable giving it a nine or at worst maybe an 8.9 okay yeah that's pretty good I think I'd, I'd like sit at an eight because I, I love it too. Like, I think it's great. I don't think it's really doing anything very interesting in terms of like cinematography. And then we we didn't really talk about it much. I think before we talked about the score. Yeah. And it's got like that really kind of goofy uh, theme for Harry at the end. Feels out of place. Yeah, that 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 uh, took away the one point one was entirely Harry's chase theme. Yeah. So I think one thing that would pump it up for me is like. It felt like there wasn't any interesting shots, really. And then uh, I didn't, like, love the score. But it's fine. Mm-hmm. That's not a big deal to me because I don't really think that that's the, it's not the point of the movie or anything like that. I don't think it's trying to be high art in terms of the way it's setting up its uh, your camera and, like, what you're, yeah. like what are we getting in the shot. I don't yeah. think it's trying to be interesting in that way. Uh, but it's that's just fair. excellent. I just love the writing so much. And I love the performances. So, yeah, I would, I would put this at an eight. Eight alcoves. Eight alcoves. So the cinematography is actually very very heavily influenced by don't look now oh okay so it's not that it was trying to be interesting in its own right it was trying to match a lot of the similar aesthetics that don't look now was doing so and it's also the first shot and the last shot of the movie are the same yeah which From the like looking up at the looking up ceiling. at the church yeah. so there's this there are some things going on there they're not they're not Ari Aster. They're not Robert Eggers. They're not evocative for uh, the sake of looking interesting as well as communicating themes and ideas. And I think that's that's its success. The camera mostly stays out of your um, your conscious, like right. like your conscious experience of this movie is like we don't really know where the camera is a lot of times. But we just get the sense of what it's trying to convey. And I think that's that's a success in and of itself. For me, I'd give this. This is like nine alcoves and two crannies. Dang, dude! Um, wow, two crannies. Yeah, two crannies. Wow. So, because this What's is the conversion not, rate on crannies to alcoves, two or one, one to ten. One to ten. Okay, yeah. so it's just a decimal point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't. Know I didn't want like to give it a full six, duck. I didn't know if it was like six shillings in a pound or something. <laughs> no, that's good. I. I think this movie deserved good high scores because it's yeah. it's just it's so much fun to watch. It's it's so much more clever uh, than I thought it was going to be. I think it's way more clever even after watching it twice um, than I than I think now. I think it is especially if I were to go. It's been like hmm, twelve years since I've seen Don't Look Now. That movie is so influential for a lot of reasons, and you know you're. Uh, you as a viewer might not necessarily recognize um, its visual style or its influence, but when you talk, when you look at historically directors that have been influenced by this movie, it's a lot of directors that have found some reason that that this movie was transformative for this mm-hmm. for them, and it influenced their work. So it is a it is a massive, massively important film, especially when we talk about like psych- psychological movies themselves as well. It's so so good. So to have a movie that somehow mixes black comedy and the the high art ideas present in Don't Look Now is. <laughs> and to be able to execute that it's, that's just pure brilliance sure yeah no it's, it's a I don't think it's impressive in the way that it's like oh it's stunning me visually but it's just like uh, it, it feels like it's 
it's never like a dull moment in the movie. And it, mm-hmm. again, it feels like it's really deep, but then it also feels like you could just watch it and, yeah. and not need to feel like you just went through some big experience that you need to mull over for a long time. You can just watch it and be like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, I had a great yeah. time. Absolutely. Alrighty, uh, with that, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for being on, Nathan. I, I was like so excited to have you, and I was really excited to talk about In Bruges. Uh, yeah. So I was glad that we had both seen it. We both liked it, and then uh, to get Calvin on board too. Yeah, Calvin was the we, you know was, I was ready to fight this man, but he he came in. And he's like oh, jazzed about it. Yeah, yeah. glad to all be on the same page. It might have been more entertaining if if we were at uh, loggerheads here, but sure. uh, <laughs> I'm glad we agree. Yeah. In yeah. Bruges, awesome. Yeah, I mean, you do have good taste. I don't think you. I don't want you to think I don't think you have good taste, Nathan. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not that. It's just I can never tell when you're going to zig when I'm going to zag. Like, <laughs> I, I think we agree on a lot of stuff, but it's it's always uh, surprising to me when we we go in totally opposite directions. Sure. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, because there's there are movies where I zag a lot. Stalka. Oh man, we really got to do that. That's we really don't greatest know. movie of all time. We uh, we were talking last night, and he was like, "Has Calvin made you watch Stalka yet?" And I was like, uh, "No, he talks about it a lot, though." <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for being on, Nathan. Thank you for being here, Calvin. And uh, remember, you can find our podcast on uh, Spotify or Apple Music. We also upload all these to YouTube. Uh, so go ahead and leave a comment. Uh, tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And if you have any suggestions for movies we should do in the future, uh, go ahead and leave in the comments. And thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.